Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Viewpoints uh, for the first time, Shona Hendley, a freelance writer living in Victoria. Shona's uh, work, uh, body of work is quite extensive. It's appeared in The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Guardian, Harper's Bazaar, Mamma Mia, New York Post and The Herald Sun, just to name a few. And and Shona caught my eye just before Christmas, uh, being a school principal with a piece in the age, A Teacher's Christmas Wish, No More Mugs. We'll get to that in a moment, but firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, Shona Handley. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Shona, and uh, congratulations. Uh, yes, you uh, you did catch my attention as a principal, A Teacher's Christmas Wish. I could relate to the essence of that piece uh, very closely. Tell us a bit about, I know Christmas is gone, but there will be another one coming up and it might be some good advice to people wishing to be kind to their teacher. Yeah, well, I used to be a teacher back in the day as well, so um, there was... I was at a senior school, so there wasn't an abundance of presents being given out. But um, I think since becoming a parent and my own girls are at school, I, I feel like in the last few years especially, there's just been this um, massive shift to having to get these great presents for, for teachers. But then I think people often feel the pressure of what that present is and resort to, like, I feel like there's just a list of, you know, go-to presents and oh, the mugs. <laughs> world's best teacher or a plus teacher or um, something to that effect seems to be one of the ones on there along with you know chocolates and um i don't know i think feel like even socks now have like made the list but um yeah i think you know as a teacher though you get so many of them of the same thing and although you know teachers don't really appreciate anything they're not they're not super picky but you know, <laughs> i was just sort of trying to get to to the idea that if you do want to give something that's meaningful for all the hard work that they put in you know maybe think outside the box a bit so that's sort of what the story with all the article was looking at and just poking fun at you know those go-to presents as well for all the teachers that were reading out there absolutely yes and it certainly made a point of course nowadays uh, things are tightened up uh, certainly in public education we have to list all the gifts we get over a certain value so um, we've got to be careful that we don't spend too much on our teachers uh. now in your field of work do you get mugs for Christmas gifts or cards or anything? Well, what do you normally get? Uh, yeah, no, I don't really get much. <laughs> I get an occasional PR gift. I actually got quite a nice one, uh, one that I did work with. Um, I got a, a lovely uh, gift card and um, some beauty products and um, I can't remember what else was in there now, but it was actually quite good. I was... Um, quite happy when I received that in the post and I wasn't <laughs> expecting it but I think outside from that and it, and it was a nice little thank you card in there too um, but no I don't really I'm not really on the receiving <laughs> end of, of gifts unfortunately but happy no. to receive them <laughs> okay now um, I couldn't help but notice um, your stint as an educated teacher secondary teacher that lasted as you say less than five years why was that Shona? Yes, I'm one of one of those statistics. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think it was a combination of things. I, I probably didn't go into the career um, 
for the right reasons. I was sort of in a bit of a point where I was stuck about where I wanted to go, um, what I wanted to do. And my mum was a, a secondary school teacher. Um, so she would often tell me, as I feel like this is really common with um, having a parent as a teacher, but mm. I think their kid will also be a great, could be a great teacher as well. And if they love it, I feel like they, you know, think they're, offspring will love doing it as well <laughs> and she really <laughs> loved it and she was really great at it um so I think I sort of just went in thinking that would be the same for me um and like from even from my teaching rounds I found the experience like I'd say horrendous it's that's a really horrible word um I just found I think not so much the um subject like content I was mm. qualified to teach media um, and humanities like obviously I really lo- love those areas and you know I was really passionate and enthusiastic about them but it was sort of all the other parts that come with teaching that maybe aren't always thought about or considered um, when you go into it you don't think they'll play as big of a role as they do mm. so um, I was quite young too, so and I looked really young. <laughs> um, and I really feel for me where I went, because I was at a senior school, um, I looked like half the kids I was teaching. Like, Gosh. And it was hard sometimes, I think. I felt myself a bit self-conscious, which I think mm. showed through as well. And it was just hard to get that class um, sort of, you know, really, I guess, not respecting, but it was sort of the disciplining area was quite difficult for me and challenging. Um, and I just found that sort of led to a few issues. But then there's just all those other things that come with teaching as well, like the all the paperwork and the admin mm. and the hours, especially teaching things like English where you have, you know, essays to mark. And, you know, you, there's a lot of time spent that – you know, people don't realise unless they're in the field. Um, and this is it's tiring. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> and a... I just wasn't really seeing rewards for the effort I was putting in, I suppose. So, yeah, that was sort of led me. I also um, became pregnant with my first child um, at the end. So I just sort of naturally left and came back for a bit of a stint in emergency teaching for a little mm. bit as well, but was reminded quickly. <laughs> <laughs> of what it's like. Of why I sort of didn't want to come back. Mm. And it's, uh, and, uh, and writing's an area that you've segued into very, very, very successfully. Now, in your bio, I was very intrigued by this because I see a lot of this, uh, probably guilty of it myself too, um, uh, on this one, Shona. So I'll, but I'll quote you. You start by saying, quote, it's tough explaining yourself to someone you don't know without sounding slightly pretentious and like you're floating your own boat. So apologies if that's exactly what I do. Uh, intriguing, and, and I'd also say sad in a way that uh, you have, and we default to this sort of um, apology for, you know, perhaps proudly saying who and what we, we are and do. Yeah, I, I think it is quite common. Um, I think I'm definitely one. I'm one to do that about everything. I'm a bit of an over apologizer. Um, I actually went on to SBS Inside about that very issue <laughs> <laughs> uh, for apologizing for everything. But yeah, it is a definitely uh, sort of that. Um, oh, what is that term where you uh, you Tall think poppy syndrome to some extent. That. 
Yeah, a bit of that, but um, oh, I can't think of the right one. Please, um, <laughs> imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yes, yeah. yes, it's a famous Definitely. one. Definitely. Yeah, I just I feel like you know even when you do have like particular qualifications and experiences and skills and um, you know there's always someone with similar ones or you know in if you want to compare them, they could be seen as better. <laughs> like there's always someone that's going to look better than you on a piece of paper. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, you can be like the most talented person in the world. But I think if you, um, you know, have that tendency to look at, you know, what other people do and compare it to you, there's always a chance that like they're going to be seen that way. So, mm. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a natural thing. Not everyone does it, of course, but, you know, for those of us that do. <laughs> it's a challenge, yeah. probably. Yeah, it's easy to be hard on oneself, Shona. Yeah. Um, now, um, something that I caught at the end of your bio, this is, uh, I'm looking forward to when this is finished. You're slowly working through your first book uh, on the profound experience of being the daughter from an affair and um, its effects on you and your life. Uh, that's say, a courageous thing to do and would be, I would suspect, challenging. Um, where are you at in that and how is it affecting you? Or would you rather not say at this stage and wait until we read the book? Uh, it's, I'm working on it very, very, very slowly. <laughs> uh, so I have all these sort of phases, which actually I just started another one um, this week of, you know, I think New Year, you're like, let's, let's pursue this. So looking at sort of a lot of different avenues, um, because since I first wrote about um, the experience, which was actually the first published article I ever wrote, um, and that was back in oh, 20, I have no idea, 2017, 18, I'm not quite sure. But um, I have had people contact me from all around the world um, in similar situations. Mm. Um, and they've sort of all cited the fact that there's like nothing out there about people that are in that experience um, or there's sort of, well, you know, with a lot of people that go through particular issues, there might even be organisations set up to support them or communities created from them to, you know, support each other. But this situation, there isn't. Um, so sort of I've had a lot of people come and contact me <laughs> <laughs> about it and share their experiences as well, which is sort of another avenue that I'm potentially thinking of exploring rather than it just being my story, uh, potentially a collection of um, people's experiences mm. being the child um, from an affair. But I've also had people in different positions, including a, a woman that uh, was actually married to a man that had an affair and had a child with another woman, um, and she still has stayed with him as well. And so she sort of shared her experience with, mm. with that and how that's affected her. So I just think it's really interesting that it's, you know, it's quite a common experience um, for, you know, married people to <laughs> to have affairs. So yes. there's a lot of people that are affected by them um, out there, but it's just something that's not really spoken about. And when it is, it's usually the same type of uh, things that are, are focused on and, the you know, people that are involved in them are usually positioned in the same way. Um, like it's not, I don't think, very accurate doesn't explore 
you know, the sort of myriad of um, ways people can be impacted mm. by by the event. So I, don't know, I think it's really interesting and, um, you know, there's like very real stories which are all really different but share similar concepts or raise particular issues within people. So, mm. yeah, it's really interesting. It's just hard to work out which way to, <laughs> to go um, with it, which I think is some of the problem for me in actually yeah, getting a, it done. There's another issue in that too, and that is, um, I mean, everybody has secrets. They're not always about mm. things such as affairs or whatever, mm. but we all, have, we all have deep secrets and some people share them and some people don't. And uh, the, the impact of not sharing secrets versus sharing secrets would be would be also an, an, an interesting angle to take. Of course, if people share a secret that they didn't share, then it becomes shared. Now, um, getting back to, the, to your work, um, your interests, uh, they're, they're very eclectic. You have an, you're an advocate for education. You've left it, but you've explained why, and we understand why you'd be an advocate. Animal welfare, the empowerment of women and girls, and for mental health. Animal welfare is an interesting, well, they're all interesting, but I'll start with animal welfare there, because that can cover everything from um, abandoned Christmas gift pets to the horse and greyhound racing industry and how those animals are treated and everything in between there and outside there. Where's, uh, is there a particular focus within animal welfare that, uh, uh, that's, that's of greater importance to you? Uh, I think probably just adopting um, animals versus uh, you know buying animals from breeders or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, you know, well, we can't really do it from pet stores anymore, but um, I think that's really important and that's sort of been like a really long-standing uh, focus of mine. I grew up with a lot of – we had a lot of cats over the years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and always just the neighbourhood, like ones that just showed up and, um, you know, and then, you know, my mum took pity on them and we ended up, you know, having them dissect and they just sort of like lived lived with us. Um, but I think it sort of started with that and just seeing, especially with, um, with cats, uh, that they're often, uh, you know, viewed in particular ways. Like I always find that there's – no one hates dogs, but there's so many people that hate cats. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I find that idea like strange. And oh, it's, for me, I just think, how can you hate <laughs> an animal like a whole breed, a whole species of animals? Like it just seems, um, it's just a strange sort of concept to me. But I just think they're very like misrepresented as well. And you know, there's just such a big issue with them, which is even you know highlighted even more last year with. Um, the the flu, I think it was, the feline flu, and that they couldn't actually take any more cats into shelters as well. Um, and, you know, there's just so many issues that really puts them, like, in such a horrible position. And, I don't know, I'm very passionate about that and, you know, I'm a proud cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> Why in, not? In, in every way. So <laughs> I think that, but also just, you know, um, like live exports, especially with what's happening at the moment with those mm. poor like sheep and cattle off WA. And I just think there's so many things that Australia like could really work on um, in that area that, yeah, they're just, I, I feel like for a long time they've been really secondary. I think the last few years, that's become a bit more in the forefront, you know, from the like pet census is a good example of that. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot of things that need to change. Yes. Now, um, you're also saying you buy a, a quite. You've got quite a portfolio of work there. You do. You specialise in professional writing, e.g., editorial articles. You're big into ideas and opinions, sharing them, and you bracket that often unpopular opinions. Uh, <laughs> Now, does that make you feel like an outsider, a rebel, or a potential change agent, radical, or completely misunderstood? <laughs> um, probably mostly misunderstood. Um, no, I think uh, I think I have opinions that a lot of people do also share, but maybe not everyone is comfortable enough um, or confident enough to like say out loud. Yes, <laughs> or write about. In my case, um, so. I, I don't know what that makes me. I just find it interesting um, just having, like, you know, these ideas and I, I don't know, I just I like to share them and it's like, yeah, you know, great that someone actually pays me to, <laughs> <laughs> to share them. So that's lovely too. But I don't really know what it makes me. Um, I don't know if I've really created any change anywhere. <laughs> what would um, be What would be one of the – any one of the ones that you – feel the feedback uh, makes it sound unpopular that you could share on viewpoints? Usually it's something related to parenting. Ah. (laughs) Everyone feels really personal about parenting. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of a good one. Um, Well, there's a few. There's cotton wooling kids and there's helicopter uh, parents. There's topics like that. We see them in schools. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean... yeah, I don't know if there's one that's like particularly um, created a humongous controversy that I can remember. But you know, things even from what we yeah what we feed our kids to yes. like I've just written one about lunchboxes. Yes, um, I saw that. The age as well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just I always feel like a bit of a. Um, a failure in the lunchbox front because I literally pack the same food in my kids' lunchbox every day um, because, that, firstly, they like it, they eat it, it's not horribly bad <laughs> for them. Um, and, you know, it's just it's a routine, so it makes it really easy to do. But, uh, you know, I see these other uh, lunchboxes of, you know, everything is you know, nude, like there's no packets, there's no plastic, it's like mm. lovely array, like it's like a rainbow, it looks really pretty, you know, it's like homemade hummus dip and I'm like, if I made homemade hummus dip, there's not a chance my kids would eat that, it would take forever. <laughs> 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 like, you know, I just, but people feel very passionately about it, and, you know, some people think that it's a bit, um you know, you're not really looking after your kids' needs if you're not doing all these things or, you know, there's the environment, um, you know, you're putting packets in, you need to do more. Like, I think everyone has views on, you know, a lot of those factors. So it's easy to sort of, I think, upset or have oh. people that upset, uh, up, like, feel the opposite to what yeah. you do. Well, often tells you more about them. Time's on the wing. One that I did want to ask you about, because it does impact on you, and it's one that, certainly in education and in writing, uh, that, uh, that that I think about, and that is the impact of generative AI, and as a writer, what's your, at the moment, take on it? Yeah, it is interesting and it does scare me <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I think um, it sort of came a bit 
to the forefront this week with, uh, I think, between the, the Taylor Swift um, mm. explicit images that were the deep fakes that were um, shared on Twitter or X, um, and then also the, uh, I think it was the Animal Justice um, MP mm. whose photo was changed um, by AI on Nine um, News. But um, I hope with sort of those things happening that something good will occur from them and there's a few more like rules and regulations that are put mm. um, in um, to, you know, to photo um, side and to like editorial writing side of um, yes. news and journalism because I think, you know, it shows that it can go like um, the wrong way quite quickly, um, you know, even uh, with people that, don't have like a national news platform in the Taylor Swift example that just went viral sort of, you know, with being shared amongst mm. users. So mm. I think for those um, institutions and companies and organisations that are, you know, have a role to put out accurate um, information that they need those like, yeah, those regulations to be like quickly sort of put into place and to protect you know, journalists and mm. photographers and videographers as well because, you know, um, I think while AI can generate copy, it doesn't have its own opinion, um, you know, and it can't – I think there's like layers to writing that can't be replicated through AI um, that people see, like it can't create its own personality. Mm. And I think that's why people – a lot of people read – things like, you know, editorials and opinions for that reason, they, you know, might relate to uh, the author's viewpoint a lot or the style of writing that's used um, or the examples. And that's something I guess, yeah, AI can't do, but, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, an interesting topic. Uh, yeah, my view of it, uh, Shona, is uh, um, as a writer in what I write, I refuse to... Try use generative AI to come up with uh, statements yeah. for me because my view is I, I don't want to diminish my level mm. and time spent thinking <laughs> personally, but that's uh, that's in a personal one. Time's got away yeah. from us, Shona. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation and there was so many things before the interview that we were talking we might talk about but didn't. If people want to get in touch with some of your work, your blogs, etc., where would they find all that? Uh, yeah, so I've got my uh, website, which is just shonahendley.com.au, I think mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> uh, so there's a contact form on there that um, you can fill out and send me an email. Please be nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's a – and then there's body of work. Just If you just search me, you'll, you'll find my writing in various places across the internet. Mm. So <laughs> yes, exactly. that's probably the easiest way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and it will be – uh, it's been a real pleasure. It'd be lovely to have you back again sometime in the near future, and especially when you finish that book, what uh, uh, whatever shape it takes. Yes, thank you. That was Shona Henley, freelance writer in Victoria, and uh, a damn good writer at that, listeners. <laughs>